Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. I'm Krista Tippett. Up next, my unedited conversation with philosopher, poet, and historian Jennifer Michael Hecht on the courage to stay alive. There is, as always, a shorter produced version of this wherever you found this podcast. Hey, Jennifer. Can you hear me? Hi. Hi. It's so great to hear your voice again. You You too. (laughs) When was that? Oh, it was a long, it was early in the life of the show. When, was, when did your book yeah. come out, Doubt, the Doubt 2003. book? 2003. Yeah. Gosh, that was that was like the first year for us. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's lovely because it was definitely <laughs> one of my first uh, big interviews. Yeah. Oh. 10 years, 11 years ago. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe it was that long ago. Anyway, I'm so glad we're, we're talking again. Yes, for sure. Um, Chris, how, do, what do you need from us in terms of levels? Hey, Paul, can you hear me? Probably. Somewhere. He's coming. He's just shutting my door. You're at Argo, right? Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, and while I was already hey. in the office. Oh, yeah. Sorry. While, while I was already here, I got the message about the poetry, but I found two uh, poems that are appropriate online. Oh, printed great. Them out here. Oh, great. Yeah, so I'm so them. glad. And also, Lily said you have a new book of poetry coming out. It right? just came out in November. Yeah. Okay. So we'll we'll put in we'll we'll mention that and uh, I would love it. And I, I, we we'll probably just at the end I'll ask you to read those poems unless sure. you feel inspired at some point in the interview to read them. Sure. Okay. <laughs> um, so Chris, do you need what we had for breakfast? No. We are ready. Okay. We don't have to have any any uh, mundane conversation. We can we can delve right, right into in. this unmundane subject. That's right. <laughs> um, I I can't remember if I asked you this when I talked to you before. I this has just become a stock question for me. I ask everybody um, this hmm. question to begin, which is. Um, uh, was there a, a spiritual or religious background to your childhood? I yes, there was. Um, my uh, father was a Jewish atheist physicist. Still is. <laughs> That's and a great my, tradition. That's a great lineage. Yes, to be it in. really is. Yeah. Um, and uh, my mom uh, believed in Judaism and the Jewish God, and she was in charge of our spirituality. Um, until at 10, I decided, no, this is not true. Okay. <laughs> um, but I did all the stuff before that. I went to temple mm-hmm. more than your your average bear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, I wonder, uh, as you got into the subject of suicide, is are there are there early associations for you with suicide or, or anything that even just came to you um, as you were writing this book? Well, yeah. Um, I, you know, I've I've lived with uh, suicidal thoughts at times, hmm. um, so it's very, it's all very keen to me. Hmm. Well, I don't think you really you don't really talk about that in the book, do you? Not in the book, but I talk about in the preface. I talk about my own dark times. Yeah. Um, and now in the you know t- discussing with people afterwards, uh, it's just seemed more relevant to talk about my own. But I I, I you know it's still not. Uh, um, yeah, in the recent article I wrote, I talked more about it than yeah. I had before. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, and then, 
and then it seems like you really became mobilized to to pick this up and worry with it and and um, think about it and think about it historically um, after two, not not just one but two um, yeah, peers young women fellow poets and friends um, killed themselves yeah. in a short period of time that's right we we had all been up at Columbia um, getting our PhDs at the same time them in uh, literature and I in uh, history history of science and uh, but we were all poets and uh, so we knew each other then and uh, and then you know, to, to varying degrees, saw each other across the 10 or whatever years that followed, uh, just because we were poets, go to conferences and stuff, and uh, parties, and see each other everywhere. Uh, but um, when the first friend did it, I had just started to come out of a very dark period myself, and then uh, I thought a lot about it. I actually wrote a poem about it that, that got a lot of uh, play. People mm. passed it around a bunch. Um, it just came out in, in my new book, uh, my new poetry book. But uh, that was the first thing. And then when when the second friend did it, who was also friend with the first. Was that Rachel? Rachel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Rachel Whetstone. And I, yeah, I wrote something on the internet, not thinking I was really talking to more than a few other poets. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it, it got around too. And that's when I started to think very seriously because I was getting emails from people who were saying that these very little things I'd done had helped them tremendously. And so it was really, you know, then it was a mission. I had to I had to track down. I'm a historian and I, I read a great deal of philosophy through history. So I, knew, I, I had these impulses of ideas, uh, but I really had to search them down and find out the nuances. And um, that did bring more information. But I, I, I also want to add, look, I... I I'm someone who speaks to people about living a deep, meaningful life yeah. uh, without um, a definite spiritual uh, guideline. And that made me uh, very attentive, attentive to this. When I was feeling at my worst, I, I very much appreciated reading Mary Carr's uh, Lit. You know, she starts out, she's an atheist, she's an alcoholic, she's depressed, very depressed, and eventually AA convinces her to get the higher power, and then her son becomes interested in Catholicism, and she's a Catholic by the end. <laughs> and and that wasn't helping me at all. Um, <laughs> and, and so I was really thinking, mm. you know, what can a person do when they're at their absolute wit's end, but they can't fall down on their knees and pray. It doesn't work for them. It's, for them, it's like talking to your hand. It just mm-hmm. isn't helpful. Yeah, and and you say that, and and um, but and this is not a but; it's an and. Interestingly, you know what what you have been doing in your in your reflection on this is actually pulling the lens back to think about the human and humane context of suicide. Yes, uh, which is life. Which is a commitment to life. Um, yes, and also very specifically to other human beings. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a communal grounding for an argument against suicide, just That's essentially true. that we need each other. Yeah. And, and that if you deserve to, y- your future self deserves some respect. At least just don't kill him. Yeah, um, right. Let's, right. See, let's see what he brings. Um, but the, more, the communitarian is what struck me first, and that was very much 
Like I was sitting alone in my room thinking this out. And when Rachel did it too, I, I felt so much pain, um, even though we were not super close. Yeah. Um, that that I I was thinking in terms of how much you hurt other people when you do this, and so I shouldn't do it. And within seconds, I was on the other side of that, seeing that if I'm so important, if I could hurt people so much by mm. doing this, mm. that means if I stay, even if I get nothing done, even if I'm crying and useless, I'm doing something. I'm making a contribution, a real contribution. When you, when, and when I started looking at the statistics, and I've now read a tremendous number of studies and, and statistics, uh, there's no question. You, you, the, the damage that is done to other people, but even suicidal influence into the grave. Uh, people, I mean, we can start with, with families. When the parent of a, when a, a, a parent of, of children under 18 uh, kills him or herself, those children's suicide rate goes up double in some, some studies and triple in some studies. Yeah. Um, that there's no question that these, these kids are likely more likely to kill themselves. And I don't think any parent really has that fully laid out in their mind. Indeed, I've gotten letters from people saying, I don't know why I didn't see this. Mm -hmm. I I guess I knew all the pieces, but I didn't put them together. Uh, But it certainly made me feel more part of humanity. We're trained and raised to feel very individualistic, but it's not true, right? right? We gain and lose weight together. We smoke and stop together. We have a third (laughs) child together. We're really in each other's worlds. And and you point out, as you do so well with your large uh, sense of history and philosophy, that that the history of Western religion and philosophy is, uh, among many other things, one long dialogue on the propriety of taking your own life. I mean, I, mm. I, I find this so helpful in your book, how you, how you pull the lens back very far and, yeah. and look at how we as human beings, as a species and as culture, have been grappling with this and the kind of drama. There's a, there's a trajectory there, right? There's a there's a, yes. a back and forth and a development. Yeah. So let's I yeah. mean let's talk about that. Tell some of that story. Well, let's do a real quick, simple version, which is that the ancient world had a certain amount of ambivalence about suicide. Uh, they lauded some famous suicides, but uh, but their their literature. Um, uh, Socrates said, don't do it. Plato said, don't do it. All, all for community. Uh, Aristotle said, don't do it. It's, it's a um, Seneca. Uh, and Seneca and Socrates are both thought of as famous suicides. But right. I was going to say Socrates said, don't do it, but he did it. But he did it, but they were compelled by government. So it was in that very room where he was drinking, gonna, about to drink the hemlock that he told his people, you can't. Mm. Everyone has to stay for each other unless you're compelled in the way I am. Um, one of my, the the poems I, I wrote about this subject, though, was actually asking uh, Socrates if it was really the best choice in some ways. Um, but but Seneca also was um, 
he he killed himself when Nero, the emperor Nero, commanded him to. So it's not really what we today would think of as suicide. Uh, but Seneca wrote beautifully against suicide. He he said at one point that he was great about depression too. He wrote he wrote about depression. I have it in the book that uh, in ways that I found just so charming. He was really you know life is really hard, mm-hmm. and he talked about it in really interesting ways. But then there's another passage where he says. Uh, He'd like to kill himself, but um, his, his instead of being courage from him, it would it would take away courage from his aging father, mm. and so and so he says sometimes to live is an act of courage, mm. um, and that's been quoted many times. That last little line, mm. um, and so what really happens is that. Um, well, it's very hard for me to give short versions. No, no, that's okay. Um, yeah, and had there's the, that. There is that that connection with the other, right? The, so, oh, Lucretia, yes, that's all community. Lucretia is a is a yeah. figure who you pull out and you kind of pull the thread through. Um, sure. So, 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 talk about that thread. How, what that what that symbolizes for you and kind of captures. Well, Lucretia's story is fascinating. She's um, she's an ancient Roman woman before the Roman Republic. It's archaic, and and there's Rome is still being run by the Etruscans, um, and in a kingship, and a Etruscan uh, prince um, kind of rapes. Lucretia, but sort of talks to her and says, look, either we ruin your reputation um, by you refusing me and I kill you and I kill a male servant, put your bodies together and tell everyone that I caught you adulterous and killed you, Um, which not only kills you, it kills your reputation, which to Lucretia was more important. Um, And so she gave in and was with him. But as soon as he assumed she'd keep the secret because it ruined her reputation. Instead, she she gathered her menfolk of family and friends and in front of them, told them what happened and then stabbed herself and then held up the knife and said, swear by this dagger that you will uh, create a Roman Republic, that you'll overthrow these foreign princesses, princes and not even establish uh, a, the kind of government that could could get away with this, that has such a royal privileged class. And so they did. So this was the founding Roman story, still being told, you know, 500 years later. And then at the very end of the Roman Republic, and when again, it's not just the found, mm-hmm. it's the founding Roman, it's not the founding Roman suicide, it's the fa- the founding Roman suicide, a story which revolves around That's suicide, right? right. That's yeah. right. It's, yeah. the, it's the foundation of Rome, yeah. yeah. And um, the reason it was so persuasive and useful was that this was a person sacrificing themselves to the community, right. and people saw it that right, way. Right, right, right. And... And when you have a community that's based on certain kinds of, they didn't have the same kind of developed legal system. They didn't have the same kind of developed uh, ways of running things and keeping everybody honest. So your name meant so much back then. And your family's name and your your uh, city-state's name, that, that was what everybody went on, reputation. Mm-hmm. And she gave her life for the group's reputation. And that's something that doesn't come up so much in modern life. In modern life, the family is usually desperate for the person to not do it. Right, right. Um, and so it's a, very, it's a very big change. And what's important is to note that the ancient world could, in certain sacrifice for the community cases, they could appreciate this kind of gesture. Right. But, you know, many scholars have seen Jesus as a suicide. Uh, it says in John, um, 
that he he no one takes his life no one takes my life uh jesus is is mm. had is said says uh no one takes my life i lay it down myself and mm. there oh, have been so you see that in that in that same sphere of a willing sacrifice on behalf of something greater yes uh-huh. and you add to it the martyrs uh people right, have suggested right. i'm not the first to suggest that the the martyrs were sort of a suicide cluster that they had witnessed this saw it as a way to proceed and um and felt bereft of him and were depressed and uh the the martyrs problem was was huge and then once constantine makes Christianity no longer illegal in 313, there's no point in it anymore for the church. The church is just getting to be more than a bunch of scattered little groups. It's, but the church doesn't want to lose members anymore, and it's not illegal, so it doesn't make any sense anymore. But people kept doing it. It was part of that culture. And by now, of course, they're doing it mostly by themselves. They're killing themselves to be a martyr uh, for this religion. And the church starts having, at almost every council they have in the you know, 300s, 400s, 500s, 600s, all these councils add notions of if you kill yourself and say it's piety, you're going to be excommunicated. Mm. If you're among the the lists of martyrs and you did it with by your own hand, you're struck from the list. You're no longer there. This is no way to get on the list of martyrs. They really try hard to stop it. And the snowball just rolls and they get really draconian so that they're torturing the corpses by hmm. by 500, 600 BC, uh, AD. They're torturing the corpses. They're, they're it's drawn a, It's a punishment after death, right? That's right. And uh-huh. they even uh, confiscate the the person's estate, so the family goes destitute um, in in lots of cases. So this is really, uh, and you're paraded through the streets naked, uh, dead, you know, the corpses, and left mm. out to be eaten by dogs. It's enough to make you say, "Okay, this should really be resisted." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that did some good, though it was horrible. It was preventative. Cert- in a- it was, mm-hmm. and we have records that make that clear of mm-hmm. people discussing their thinking um, and very often also discussing the tug between God and the devil. And the devil was, yeah. by the late Middle Ages, very much associated with suicide. And Luther and Calvin keep this up too. They they look at the problem and they say, yep, this is the devil. We, we still have to punish people for giving in to him. And I think the point you make, I mean, what you're saying uh, I, is, is provocative. Um, you know, it's actually very logical, uh, you know, rational, reasonable, but, um, but it, I, it's not something p- I, you hear people talking about and naming. Um, I think, you know, what came down then into the Christian West eventually was, was uh, not, not these kinds of displays of punishment, but but a sense that this is wrong, that God forbids it. And I, I think another provocative point you make is that 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 as the only reason not to commit suicide was actually kind of dehumanizing. Um, that it, sure. Right? Um, in, in but your what's, view. Im- what's important, well, there are lots of ways of looking at it, but, mm. but the key bit for me is that the Enlightenment saw it as a clear goal to stop the church uh, being involved in this and right. stop <laughs> right. and to argue against that God was um, – so concerned with your your particular details um, and what you did, and and also just saying, um, you know, the church doesn't have any business in this. And then in and reaction, the Enlightenment ends up kind of christening it as a form of moral freedom. That's right. 
and saying it's sort of one of the key pillars of our autonomy, that we have the right to end all this. And uh, it really just kind of spread. And we think of it as as the whole sort of secular world holding these views, but we also think of of Camus as being a figure uh, in that. But when you actually go back and read the myth of Sisyphus, Camus definitely starts the thing with there's only one philosophical question and that's suicide. First decide that and you know, he said he says somewhere, no one ever died because of the ontological question. <laughs> there this is a life and death thing and you have to decide it before you do anything else. But that invitation is very misleading because he goes through the whole book arguing against suicide. Right. He says life is absurd. There's no there's no out outer reason that you have to, but that suicide is the wrong step. That life is uh, worth living. This absurd, strange thing should be witnessed, and it's vital that you um, essentially have some respect for your future self, who's going to know things you don't know. Yeah, you say that his his uh, approach, his spirit, is sorrowful but cheerful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where Sartre can really be sorrowful and and sort of brutally negative. And right. Not most cheerful. people don't follow that anymore. It was too much. I mean, I have to say that this Camus example that you give is mm. very striking. I mean, I'm one of, I think, many people who in my 20s somewhere or when mm-hmm. this was uh, assigned to me in college read that first line mm-hmm. of the myth of Sisyphus. There is but one mm-hmm. truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. Judging whether mm-hmm. life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question. Um, but I don't think that I either got to the end or really took in right. what you're saying was really the, the, the whole sweep of his argument. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I interviewed Brian Greene recently, and, and he he brought up Camus and the myth of Sisyphus. And, you know, here is a brilliant person. Um, but, but I think the way he internalized that uh, is the way mm-hmm. most of us internalized it. Though I will say that when I give talks the only consistent book that people come up to me and say this helped me is Camus really? with Sisyphus. So if they read it, it, they it, read it, it helps them save their lives. They tell me over and over. Huh. It's remarkable. Interesting. The idea that life is is horrible but absurd and that we can embrace the weird side and stop trying to make everything right and reasonable. Try, stop trying to dot all the I's or make it seem fair, but embrace the absurd and be interested in the future um, and imagine Sisyphus happy. That's what they get when they really read it. Hmm. So yep. I want to come back to this. Um, let's, let's just say, you know, now, kind of 20th, 20th, mm-hmm. 21st century, mm. um, there's something that's alive and well, which is a bit reflected in that Lucretia example you gave. Um, yeah. And, you know, even the, the example of Jesus. Um, there's, there's an aura of... Um, or at least a possibility of nobility, you know, even kind of romance in a dark mm-hmm. way. Um, if you just start, there's a, there's a noble lineage also, if, if nothing else, right? right? I mean, it's Correct. Socrates, it's Sylvia Plath, it's Virginia Woolf, it's Ernest Hemingway, it's Goethe's, you know, Young Werther, it's Marilyn Monroe, David Foster Wallace. I guess, but I have difficulties with all of those. I mean, Sylvia Plath's son, who was in the other room when right. she did it, uh, uh, 40 years later, kills himself. But I learned that first from, from you. I didn't know that. But, you know, and it's not that there's anything... There's not the poetry it's not world. The, no, <laughs> uh-huh. did they know? Did do they know? It, but you know the the thing about a Sylvia Plath example. It's not like it's a happy thing. It's not like you look at that and say, 
how romantic, but but this list of people I just read, and and the list is much longer. Of you know, it's it's amazing, brilliant lives, right? Yeah, but it's also I, I understand, and I'll come back to that. But I yeah, want to just yeah. add that when England changed the gas ovens so that you didn't just open the uh, the door and gas came out, the suicide rate dropped. Hmm. Just as when England very recently in the 90s, uh, the UK stopped selling acetaminophen in bulk and started selling it only six at a time and in bubble wrap. So, you know, you could go out to a bunch of different stores and and sit there and undo the bubble wrap. But guess what? It went away. Um, Obviously, the suicide rate is is, uh, high, but this kind of... um, these they would show someone take acetaminophen on some television show f- to 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 die and and there would be this huge spike in the behavior and now that that doesn't happen so they are normal people but um, I mean they are amazing people but they're also human um, if it wasn't so easy you know uh-huh. and and Plath thought somebody was coming over to help with the kids later I mean there are things that make us say well no tragedy tragedy not uh, not okay and would would Sexton have done it if Plath. I mean, right. there are, right. but you're absolutely right that there's a way of thinking of this as sort of grand. But let's also point out that a great many people who kill themselves speak about there being a burden. They're afraid they're a burden on other people yeah. because they've been depressed a while or because they've just had a humiliating blow and they think very poorly of themselves at the moment, break up a relationship, trouble at work. Um, but people have to know clearly and in a sin- simple sentence, you will be, uh, your suicide will be a much greater burden, exponentially greater. People may die. Once you see that in the stats, you certainly you sort of take, back, take, take a step back and see there's no way that this is about me sacrificing if other people might, might die. And I've already, uh, in the Daily Beast, uh, maybe a week or two ago, a former ranger wrote that he was using this idea. Um, he quoted me having uh, been quoted by David Brooks, but he says, you know, where I say that if you want your niece to live through her dark night of the soul, you have to live through yours. And he right. says, you know, he's, he's, the whole piece was about him grieving three friends and wanting to write something about it after the first two. And when the third came down, feeling pretty hopeless yeah. and miserable and guilty and and then he read me tell him that 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 think about the people who are still alive and don't start the cycle again this is the sacrifice you make and he actually said you, i guess you have to accept help and and work out your your issues um I guess that's the way to help other people. And that moved me so much that he saw that and, and, and saw it as a way to help people towards the therapy that can really help them in a deep way. Um, and I've also gotten, um, there was an article by a psychiatrist, um, uh, Dr. Pies, who wrote, uh, you know, that he, he, he encouraged other psychiatrists and counselors of all sorts to um, to pitch the idea to their to their patients that there's a communal a communitarian argument that really suggests that you're of more value than you realize and you have to stay for other people. Um, he worked it out in all sorts of interesting ways. You know, um, I, I think what 
what this gets at is, and this is this really was with me as I was getting ready to talk to you, um, an aspect of suicide as a human phenomenon that we yeah. that we don't actually go into, which is the effect it has on those who are left behind. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and importantly, not just family and friends who get hit very hard, but uh, don't always repeat it. But in that, in that slightly wider area, um, again, I've gotten letters, actual physical letters, telling me that, uh, that, that someone at quite a distance made it, um, became, uh, they became a, a little obsessed with it. So, you know, I, um, I, I don't think I've ever talked about this in an interview before. Um, when I was in my 20s, I had a someone I cared about commit suicide, and it was actually somebody I had been very close to, as well as someone who I, I had very much looked up to uh, professionally. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it is, you know, it's, I, I suppose I was closer to him than maybe you were closer to these Friends yeah, I had of, been know, close to them a, a while back, right. but, but I mean, yeah, not. But the same thing. I mean, at the point at which he died, we were living in different countries, and right, um, okay. you know. But how um, dislocating, you know? How it wasn't just a grief. It it was. No. It's not just another. It's not just a loss or a death. Um, the um, yeah, that spot, the the the, the stages, you know, the uh, yeah. First of all, like a total disbelief. That's right. Like I really thought people were lying, right? I mean, I re- you know when I was right. first, I thought there this is some ridiculous uh, right. joke or some kind right. of you know something that somebody's making this up. And then um, the guilt, and I and I, my understanding mm. is that this is true. And as you say, not just in those immediate circles, of course, in those immediate circles, but. For me, kind yeah. of, you know, outside the immediate circle, um, yeah. incredible, like, you know, uh, looking back through the last phone call that we'd had, yeah. you know, and oh, yeah. how I had Did been, right? And I had Fetishized been dismissive. the last email. Yeah. yeah. I'd been dismissive of um, things he was complaining about that I just, you know, he'd been complaining about for a long time, and I... Um, Right. I was just kind of tired of him not taking charge of it, right? <laughs> you know. Okay. Yeah. And then later, and then later, thinking, you know, you just really torturing myself. Could I, could I right. have made a difference in that phone call? And then right. the thing that comes that I, I don't think people know how to talk about. Certainly, the closest loved ones, the anger, mm-hmm. right? The, because oh, yeah. this sense of this of the selfishness of it, right? That's of, I've seen damage. that response a lot. Yeah. yeah. And then people. the guilt over the anger. <laughs> That's right. Sure. And 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 this is just me in one of these um, circles, psych, you know, outside the middle. So, I think it must be very useful. I wonder if this is something you get um, in opening up the subject in the way you're doing yeah. it, which is yeah. this communal way that it creates a space to talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I mean, there are times when the person does it sort of in in uh, protest to the family to say, you know, this is how bad it was or whatever. But they they don't think about the people on the very next level, who who, you know, they again, it's it's a, a, an extreme reaction, but. Lots of people die after suicide. They come in groups. I talked to some people right. in the army. They said it comes in groups. Right. So there's the, then that's really a, a very serious 
um, thing you are pointing out, which is absolutely documented uh, in many ways, that mm-hmm. one of the best predictors of suicide is knowing a suicide. Right. But don't, but don't ever forget the flip side, which is your staying alive means so much more than you really know or that anyone is aware of at this moment. But we're, but we're in it together in this profound way, and you can take some strength from that. Um, I think that's, for me, that's been very important. Just feel like, obviously, we're not individuals. Wow, how could I have thought that we were on that kind of level. And it's funny because my two arguments that you owe it to other people and that you owe it to your future self are both about looking at what the individual means. Because when you look at a person within a group and all the trends we follow, the clothes, the car, the, the not car, the every all these trends that we follow, um, you realize the extent to which we're enmeshed. And when you... Uh, when you look at yourself and realize that you have fallen in and out of love with the same person, you have fought with friends thinking you'll never speak to them again and you <laughs> right, love them again. Right. We have different moods that profoundly change our outlook, and it's not right to let your worst one murder all the others. Um, and I know, this is, I know this is something you've thought about, but, um, uh, well, you talked about uh, your dark times. I'm also somebody mm. who's known clinical depression. Right. It's hard, you know. Here, you know. Here's you say this is your non-religious argument against suicide. I'm just, it, in mm-hmm. a way, is a paraphrasing what you just said. I so mm-hmm. I want to say this, and forgive me the strangeness of it. This was from that original article you wrote. Don't kill yourself. Life has almost always been almost too hard to bear for a lot of people, a lot of the time. But it's very hard to argue with depression. It is, but it is possible. Um, It is possible. I think um, if the message you are sending yourself is, this is not how I always feel, sometimes you just have to wait. and because even when you're terribly depressed, you're not actually actively suicidal all that time. That comes and goes even in the worst. Yeah. Um, and and you just have to, you know, it's a great idea to write yourself a note saying, I am happy right now, despite previous depressions. Please do not do anything to inhibit this from happening again. And and go read it when you're down. There it is in your handwriting. Um, someone actually wrote that to me when they were telling me how much stay had helped them. They told me this little trick that they used. I thought it was brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. remind your mood that the other mood exists. Because depression is particularly, uh, like, one of its definitions is that within depression you can't see uh, that you've ever not been depressed. Right. You can't see beyond be it. Right. You can't see outside it. You can't right. imagine outside it. No, you can't. But if you put it in your head beforehand, it can help. I mean, look, we all sometimes feel a sort of fleeting homicidal thought, right? When someone is just being incredibly frustrating or ruining everything or whatever, and you just think, I wish they were gone. I've never you had You don't that have to even think about it, right? Because you, you know, know you're right. Okay. Yeah. You know that murder is out of the question. And, and I think that with a little bit of thought, uh, suicide can equally be out of the question. You, you, we have tons of stats that say people go to the Golden, you know, they, the Golden Gate Bridge, you can usually. What they do they call that? Fence, a suicide you, magnet. It is, but mm-hmm. if you go to a bridge that has the fence up, a suicide fence up, um, the people just go home. They don't go to another bridge. 
they, they usually survive it. We have actual stats on this. Um, so what does that say to you? What is that? What is that? That it's impulsive, that it's tremendously mm-hmm. impulsive, and mm-hmm. that if you can get past the impulse, and if you can put a conceptual barrier in your head, um, that it, it can be, it can work in the same way that that chain link fence can. You just, um, you've put up a barrier. You, you've talked to yourself about this. You've decided that it's, it's not what a good person does, and that you will feel better, and don't argue with yourself. Get in bed and feel terrible or go get help or, um, uh, geez, playing a video game sometimes takes my mind off misery. Um, <laughs> you know, there's ways to get through the worst. And really when I'm starting out, what I'm starting out with is really just the idea of, yeah, sometimes life for some of us can be unbelievably painful, but um, don't do this one thing. And... Uh, but I've sensed, like, by that, that ex-ranger, you know, he said, no, you, you, he didn't say no because he was following my logic, but he said, you not only have to get through it, you, you have a responsibility to take care of yourself. Um, your, your well-being is important to other people, and it's not, you know, a lot of soldiers and the military suicide crisis is terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they what feel is that, like that the, more is this, is this right that more more um, military personnel are dying by suicide than dying in battle in these recent yeah years. in 2012 that was clear and shocked everybody yeah um, yeah and and they uh, well you go on well well so here here's one here's one way you say this uh, none of us and I, and this is very simple but I find this a very striking statement none of us can truly know what we mean to other people. And none of us can know what our future self will experience. But I think that the specter of suicide, alongside the specter of military suicide, that's most present now is is teenage suicide, mm-hmm. right? And um, yeah, and that seems to be fueled also somehow by the internet. Um, and 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 that is a time when um people are you know even more susceptible to this way we are which you describe which is is being part of a group and being very in, influenced mm-hmm. by those around us but also it's a time of life when you know if somebody can say this very reasonable thing you can't truly know what you mean to other people and you can't know what your future self will experience but that's mm-hmm. a time of life that's right. When you are inside this bubble that you can't see or imagine beyond. Yeah, so how exactly. do you how do you think about this way you want us to consider this with that in front of well, us? Well, sometimes I do uh, find a way to work in that your prefrontal cortex isn't finished until you're 25, and and that grown-ups would certainly love to have more prefrontal cortex. It helps you get what you want, and and it's the executive functioning. So. The, People who are under 25 have a lot to look forward to if they can hold out a little longer. It's, for them, uh, I guess I lead with the future self. Um, hang in there and let's see what you can do. Um, and we don't know. We really don't know. The people who are doing fantastically right now uh, uh, may not be later and you may be doing great. You really have to look at that side of it when you're when you're young. But it's also true that they sometimes have experienced a suicide and feel shame and guilt, and the easiest way to get them to feel better is to notice that they do have some control over future such experiences by by making sure not to start the cycle again. Um, and and they they are a, a population that 
you know, in many cases, their lives are being sort of run from outside, either because they're in the army or the college or high school. And so we really have to dedicate ourselves to, to looking sharp on this. It's, it's, it's not fair to have so much control over people's lives and finding them in this way. I will mention also that this skyrocketing suicide, which we see in this country, um, which is true across so many groups, the boomers are killing themselves. It's a real spike. Right. Um, and and college students and military, it's all these um, really uh, high spikes. And, and uh, middle-aged or slightly older uh, women, um, there's a real a real crisis here. And um, what if, what if it's not some profound cultural thing, but it's suicide rates going up and down? There are studies that, that make it seem certainly that, that in the 1950s, our suicide rate was lower and that it was, um, it w- was at its uh, lowest in around 2000, hmm. and it's been going up since then. And if this is just a cycle, should we let all the people on the second half of the cycle die of suicide bubble? I mean, can't we step up and say no to that? Right. I think that's the question. What? So what can we do? I mean, you're making this um, kind of really communal plea. So how do you see that being, how do you see that working its way out? Well, I guess one thing is to really make sure people see that um, this is a rising trend. And if they don't want to... Uh, die by trend they can they they can look at it critically and say you know i'm not going to let this environment do this to me and you know what can i do other than offer these things which i've found helpful and and the things that most you know people have most said back to me that they find helpful um it this is you know it's, it's funny sometimes people argue with me a lot of times people argue with me that suicide is a right it's a right huh. and and I say, you know, is it right for a teenager to do this? No. Is it right for a huh. parent of a young child to do it? No. So who is this guy who doesn't have anybody who loves him a lot or, or those people are perfectly fine with his decision and he's of sound mind and he decides he wants, you know, this is a very rare uh, person and we can discuss him further. But first, I, you know, I. You, you need to find me more than one or two of them in, in the last century. I mean, there, it's not the most popular version of suicide. And, and if we're going to say that this is a right over and over to people, what are, we, what are we giving them the right to? It's not the right to free speech or the right to freedom. It, it's, this is the right to die um, when they're not in trouble. And, and you know, I should have led with... Uh, if your physician and people in your family think that it's it might be time for you to go, that seems to me a, a, a different conversation. Yeah, you're not talking about end of life. Um, no, and, yeah. no. Um, so, you know, you uh, one one thing I kept thinking about when I was reading you is. Um, I'm not sure if this is completely related, but bear with me. Um, you know, Anthony Appiah is a philosopher at Princeton. Right. He, I, I cite him in the book. Oh, okay. 
and he's done a lot of work on how moral change happens, and mm-hmm. and it's really it's it's often a reversal of something that is considered to be noble, which is interesting, mm-hmm. right? It's like how did foot mm-hmm. binding end in China? How did slavery end as a fundament of the British Empire? How did dueling end mm-hmm. as an honorable mm-hmm. way for gentlemen to resolve mm-hmm. disputes? Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that um, you are making. A, you're, you're, you're wanting to start a similar kind of moral deliberation about suicide. It, it's, you're, you're relieving it from the way this was discussed morally um, in previous generations. But you're, you're saying um, that not only does, does this not – can we – should it not be imagined as noble or romantic in any way or thinkable really – but but you're actually saying we need to make suicide resistance part of our culture. And, I mean, this is somewhere you actually said that attach a sense of honor to perseverance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. This, you know, Apaya is brilliant about honor and shame and how all those those three things that you mentioned, the Atlantic slave trade, du- dueling and foot binding changed in a generation yeah. because the idea of how to be a good person changed right. because shame started to accrue not to that side but to the other side. Um, sometimes because of just contact with another culture that thinks something you're doing is barbaric. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, how do we – the first thing we're going to do if we're going to change something that's a little barbaric in our culture is just notice it. You can't move too fast, but right, you can right, right. start to notice that maybe this isn't kosher. Um, in, in our country today, we lose more years of life to suicide than anything. We're, when you're when you're under 44, suicide is the third. Uh, sometimes in some some places in that that uh, age group, sometimes the the uh, second highest cause of death. So think about what we do in terms of trying to avoid heart disease and cancer and um, car accidents and. Then think about what the average person who's not in suicidal trouble at the moment does to prepare against the possibility of getting depressed and thinking this way mm-hmm. um, and and for our children and for our friends uh, this is this is an unbelievably high level killer suicide's killing more college students than alcohol mm-hmm. just of uh, as of recently uh, suicide's killing more adult People in the general population, not, uh, not just adults, but in the general population, more than car accidents for the first time huh. in, in, in quite a while. Huh. Uh, I don't know if in quite a while, but, but certainly in the last 10 years, accidents were what killed us most. And, uh, and now it's suicide. So, so um, I think what you said a minute ago is so important that you start just by naming it, that that's the first step. You don't start by solving the problem. You start that's by right. seeing the problem. And, right. um, and 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 something I've been watching that feels a little related to this is, um, and 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 even in this context of these ideas of of you know Anthony Appiah about how moral change happens, how mm. we have had this cultural awakening to bullying, yes, which in its way was honorable in the sense that it, it's happened forever. And people right. just decided that that's the way it is, and you have to buck up and take it. And it wasn't right, mm-hmm. and it was. And in fact, mm-hmm. there was a power to the people who were bullies, mm-hmm. and there was sure. an, there was a victimization Even some respect. that we yeah. accepted. We accepted the victimization of the people who were un- unlucky enough to be bullied, and suddenly, we see this as absurd, yeah. 
right? That's and, right. And, and I, right, now, right now it's this painful moment where you suddenly see how horrible it is and the Internet seems to have amplified it and put it on display. But I think there's real moral progress happening. And, yes. and as Hmong teens and younger people, you know, suicide... Is, is, is not strictly, but to some degree, you know, in a kind of overlapping universe with that. And, and I, I just I feel like what you're saying is we need to notice this and yeah. be appalled, mm-hmm. right? In, the, in a way that we've become appalled by bullying and suddenly see that we haven't been taking it It's a it wonderful comparison, enough. especially when we re- remind ourselves that, that these bullying situations are, are entirely institutionally created, right? Yeah. We, we send these people to high school. We, we yeah. as a culture, have designed it. We send them in, and, and this happens to them. Like, how is that? When, when we think about you know, the, the British families who would send their kids off to boarding school where they knew they were going to be seriously harassed because they were when they were kids you know right. we look it at happened that and say, to, we all live through it you just have to get through it and so you say yeah we we're sending our child to a torture chamber yeah that's what we do mm-hmm. um and and yeah if people are being bullied to the point of misery we have a responsibility to look at it but you're absolutely right and it's a wonderful comparison mm-hmm. so so but let, let's talk about that there's a really meaty, uh, meaty, uh, there's a really substantial positive, uh, positive is not a big enough word. There's, I, I even want to say there's kind of a, there's, there's certainly a moral argument. There's a spiritual argument by some definition that you, that mm-hmm. there's a way you're framing this. Um, and you invoke, um, you know, Maimonides saying, you know, he who destroys himself destroys the world. You, you mm-hmm. invoke Levinas, a French Talmudic mm-hmm. scholar, the, that our acts of friendship are the most real and knowable aspect of the entire mm-hmm. universe. I mean, you, the discussion you want to have is not so much against suicide, but for staying alive for each other. It's 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 choosing life. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, it's choosing living. I don't, you know, I'm not taking this conversation into all these other issues because this is it, this has so many of its own issues that it really needs to be taken by itself. Yeah, choosing um, staying alive. Choosing staying alive, and and yes, I thought of myself as an individual before I started doing this thinking in a way that I no longer do and I feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't really mean you have to go out and do a lot of communal things, though all sorts of studies show that will help. Uh, force yourself to go be with other people is a, is, is a good start. Um, but it's, it's also just this internal thing where uh, I, I notice more that, that I'm part of this human thing and that there's no such thing as wasted co- contributions. Uh, it always goes somewhere. And the, the, the messages I've heard from people from all sorts of distances away from my two particular poet friends who did this, I'm hearing that people from very far away who didn't ever know them uh, ha, you know, became obsessed with the, yeah. the, the obituary and then read their stuff and, and found themselves drawn to, to, to this. And so it really is, uh, it's a better feeling about what we are and what we're doing. And most people through history had it 
without trying because they lived in tiny communities that were besieged by either drought or flood or or uh, whatever, and um, they had to work together to do anything, and they were more aware of their connection to each other. Yeah. And nowadays we're very... In a way, that connection was also just forced on them, right? It wasn't optional. <laughs> it's optional right. for us. Yeah. It's optional, and I suggest taking that option whenever you want. But just be be more aware of the ideas of the other side, that, that we have these all sorts of secret web-like connections to each other, and that sometimes when you can't see what's important about you, other people can. Mm-hmm. And, and that notion is, you know, even uh, Augustine um, uh Augustine said, you can't kill yourself because God said, thou shalt not kill, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You, you can't kill yourself either. Aquinas comes along much later in, uh, you know, in the 12th century and says, um, you can't kill yourself because of what you owe the community, because what you owe yourself and the God issue. But still, the God issue is the one that, that people used because it was it, you know, quite fierce. You didn't really have to think about it and argue about it. Um, but these other things were on on uh, right. Thomas Aquinas's mind. I mean, I, I feel like you sound a little bit like Maimonides when you say this is something you wrote. Rejecting suicide is a huge act within a community. I also think it changes the universe. And you 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 wrote, either the universe is a cold, dead place with a little growth of sentient but atomized beings, each all by him or herself, trying to generate meaning, or we are in a universe that is alive with a growth of sentient beings whose members have made a pact with each other to persevere. Yeah, that feels powerful to me. I, I, I feel like just the, um, just the respect of the idea of love and meaning. Um, yeah, I'm outside of the religious tradition, but um, though I do like rituals, and I think if you can perform any of your childhood rituals without saying anything you don't believe anymore, uh, you should definitely do it. It, it helps a life make sense. But I, I want to add that I, I personally don't believe every person is responsible for finding their own meaning, as so many secularists have said. Mm-hmm. I believe that the meaning is already in the culture and in the community, and that sometimes you need to trust what other people are doing and trust that maybe, you know, when you're a kid, the idea that maybe someday you won't need to be the king of the world and you'll be happy to have found someone to love and you'll be overjoyed to have some children and have a job that pays for your car. You don't know that when you're a kid. That's something that comes with growing up. You you only later find out, oh, they had something there. You know, um, when you're a kid, you look at all the houses the same and it crushes you. You so want to be special. But special doesn't turn out to be this huge requirement later on. People find other ways to not find other ways. The chief ways to be happier, to have people you love and, and meaningful work and and be loved back. That's, you know, it's it's what goes on. And you really can say to yourself, I need to. I need to see the bigger picture and be involved emotionally in the bigger picture. But I, I, I think that also does get back to the fact that, um, I mean, especially in the time we're living in now, there are so mm. few givens anymore, you know, mm-hmm. about what you will be able to get. I mean, I think the new generations are in many 
probably very healthy ways having to redefine what it's going to look like to have crafted a life of meaning. Yep. Um, right? And I, oh, yeah. I, I suspect, got a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. Yeah. It's hard to push them in any direction because no. I'm no longer sure that no. a doctor or a lawyer is the way. You know, it's just the no. world's topsy-turvy. Yeah, and I suspect that that's... That, that, that this complete shifting of the ground beneath our feet is probably has something to do with the boomer suicide rate as well. But I mean, you, you know, another thing that you're picking up for cultural examination in an interesting way, I think, is this idea that it's this reality base that we learn and grow through pain, that there's value in suffering and survival. Those mm-hmm. are not those are message, those messages that have been carried forward by our religious traditions mm-hmm. um, to some extent, I suppose, in psychology, psychotherapy, mm-hmm. but not. I, I'd say our culture is in many mm-hmm. ways sends the exact opposite message, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Uh, I think it's uh, it's key to think about gratitude, to, to feel gratitude to other people for for trying and to know that you have other people's gratitude. Indeed, let's start with me. I'm grateful to you who is listening, who feels tempted to suicide. I'm grateful that you're sticking it out for the sake of other people. And I know many people are. And, and you're my hero. I know how insane it is. And uh, yeah, we owe each other just that. If that notion is out in the culture, that there's someone somewhere who's grateful to you for making this sacrifice, uh, that's, I think, I think no one should die without knowing the, the historical arguments or what the stats say. Uh, and then the, the ultimate you know, decision, once you know all that, is a little bit more, okay, you, you, you make what you uh, have to say. Um, you mean you what, can, the, what the stats say about what the effect might be on the world if you do this, yes. right? <laughs> yeah, but remind me in one word or two what, what the, your question was, hon. Um, I have to go. Oh, I was just saying that... Um, This whole uh, this whole idea of creating a culture of resisting of 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 honoring perseverance um, is not about saying everything's going to be all right because that's not the way life ever works. But you're also honoring the tradition, which which principally has been carried forward by religions, which in fact is often very much kind of countered in popular culture, you know, that life right. is difficult and that things will not yes. probably ever turn out exactly the way you wanted them to, except for maybe a few minutes at a time. I mean, I'm just, you know, yes. we could go on yes. and on, but that, but that yeah. suffering and survival have value in and of themselves. People don't get those messages. The suffering, that's right. right? Yes, the, suf- the idea that, that pain makes us grow and become more wise, we do not hear this, but it's it goes right through history. So many people have said, um, the philosophers and and artists and writers and also leaders, uh, people in, in major leadership roles often talk about a period of time where they were lost mm-hmm. um, and that they, they count that humbling experience as the reason that they can lead others. So <laughs> sometimes... Uh, we do have to go back to those arguments as secular people. Yeah, in this world, we're trying to kill pain wherever we can, mm-hmm. and I applaud it. Let's try. Mm-hmm. But it's not the way life goes. And uh, look, 50 years ago, the the 
amount of money most families had was was uh, finally people were most people were out of poverty. But f- from there, as we got more money, the happiness rates have not gone up. It, it, it makes a real difference when you go from not having enough to eat to having enough to eat. And it doesn't make much difference after that. Yeah. Uh, but, but we have to realize that um, things don't go straight up. They, <laughs> it's a pendulum, right. you know? Right. That's how it works. And, and we can commiserate with each other. Sure, that's a big part of what I'm saying, too. Just speak your truth if you possibly can, because you're going to get such warm feedback from so many places, and you're going to help others. Right. I mean, you know, when you were saying a minute ago about people need to know that someone is grateful, that they're persevering, Mm -hmm. uh, that then puts a responsibility, that awareness puts a responsibility on, on all of us, really, to think about, you know, what we what we make an effort to say and to express yeah. to other people. Yeah. Yeah, there's, you know, there, uh, someone reported a crisis in uh, ministers of suicide uh, about a year ago, and, and they were describing how these ministers were supposed to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. So up until the point they take their lives, nobody knows um, much about how they're feeling because they feel like it's letting down the congregation, letting down even God. Um, to say that they're this miserable. But once that ultimate act happens, everybody mm-hmm. finds out. Uh, in the worst it, possible, most devastating In the worst possible, possible most devastating way. Yeah. Right. Uh, the only perk is that you're not there to hear it, but I'm yeah. trying to get you to hear it beforehand. Yeah. So you just ask for help. It's allowed. It's even people who give help should think of themselves as, you know, a piano that's being played a lot and they got to get it tuned up now and again. Mm-hmm. Um so you've you've made it clear that this you're not talking about um, end of life situations, um, right. and um, I wonder what else, what other uh, like difficult area do you find this lands with people? I mean, are uh, there well people, they don't think right? Do they think that that this is way? Does this feel like a way of judging? You know, is it? Oh, yeah. A, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's been, there's been a little of that, people saying that this blames the past suicides. I really feel like if you have never heard the argument, there's absolutely no reason to even think about that. And if you have heard the argument, you still got to find out about um, what do you mean, external the argument? circumstances. Uh, the, the idea through history that, that we, um, we will hurt each other tremendously if we do this and that uh, there are communal reasons to stay and, um, that, that, you know, how can you say that there's a burden on the people who are already gone if we haven't had this conversation mm, yet? Okay. Um, and I'm not so much just saying mine. I'm saying all these people in history that I've been able to quote because they those arguments fell out of out of the culture with the turf war between religion and secularism. Right. And we have to write, you know, get that pendulum coming back a little bit uh, where we're not declaring our independence by, by killing ourselves. Um, so that's that certainly appears. It's not even as big as the people who think that you can't convince a suicidal person with ideas. And to them, I say, look at the suicide hotlines. They're everywhere. Hmm. Do you think people hmm. would keep that yeah. up without checking that they help? Right. Look at the, the counseling and um, the specific diagnostic checks that people do on all these different attempts and uh, to help people and they help because talking helps because ideas help mm. and mm. and 
we 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 certainly can't. I agree that when a person is in their worst place, that's a hard time to hear anything new. But what about talking about it before it happens? Right, right, just before they go over that edge. So, so Jennifer, you've written, um, you know, over the years. Well, you're a poet, but you know, your books have had these different this spectrum of uh, topics, right? Doubt, yeah, happiness the end of the soul. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just curious about how these things come together in your imagination. How does suicide then flow in with that spectrum? And how does, how does, how does that come together for you, these big ideas you've looked at? Yeah, uh, they come together in a lot of ways. I, well, for one thing, I am just fascinated with humanity and I love a good idea or a new idea and to follow it to its conclusion and see what I end up thinking. And I certainly ended up in a different place than I started with this. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's certainly a, a, a combination of things. I, I am... Uh, Having written Doubt, which I, I wrote, I, I wrote The End of the Soul, which I published with Columbia University Press, which won a prize that led it, you know, in intellectual history that, that made it uh, more popular, um, came out in paperback and whatnot. And, and, and I wrote that because I was fascinated by this bunch of late 19th century scientists who were dissecting each other after death. They called it the Society of Mutual Autopsy. And they were, when I went and really did the research and found a lot of uh, their their original papers uh, in France under the Eiffel Tower and the Trocadero. Hmm. Um, I found uh, that that they were uh, doing all of this to prove to the Catholic Church that the soul doesn't exist. The soul was thought of as a very material thing, and they uh, Paul Broca had found that the the there's a particular area of the brain, Broca's aphasia. Oh, is aphasia. that where that came from, the Broca's aphasia? That's theory? right. Uh-huh. He, and he was the first one to find that this person who had trouble speaking, there was a lesion on the brain when you did the autopsy, and that was uh, repeatable. Mm-hmm. And this group of people who were around him, uh, and he joined them, Broca did the first op- autopsies for the Society of Mutual Autopsy. Um, he was involved in these atheist groups before they started being anthropologists, uh, but they did this under the idea of the Society of Mut- of uh, aut- uh, Society of Anthropology in in Paris. And yeah, Broca took part in the first dissections, and then his brain was uh, about the third dissection. Uh, he gave his brain to them, too. Mm-hmm. And they never really found anything like Broca's aphasia. The brain is very complicated, but what they were doing was showing as often and in as many ways they could uh, that the the brain doesn't need an extra spirit to do its thinking. Mm-hmm. So I was fascinated with that, but when I, by the time I finished that, it was obvious there was no good history of atheism. Everywhere I looked, it was either too pro-atheism or too against. Right. Um, right. It would lie on both sides. So I decided to write that, and when I researched it, I was astounded by what I found, um, the extent to which a history of doubt and disbelief and questioning was not just in every century, even in the Dark Ages, but that they all, they knew each other's work, that there were histories of doubt previously in history. That and they, also that, that, that there were histories that this was at the heart of religious traditions as well, right? That was, that's right, yeah. absolutely, that, yeah. all, that all the religions shaped themselves around uh-huh. continuous doubt. Uh-huh. So 
so then I was, because of the way the secular community uh, sort of um, took up this book, I found myself very often being the arbiter of, of um, you know, the very first talk I gave, someone came up to me, it was a Jewish man, and he's an atheist, his pregnant wife is an atheist, they come up to the desk where I'm signing books and say, can we have a bris? We don't believe in God, hmm. but we want to have a bris. And I say, yes, my child, you can have a bris. You know, right. try not to say anything you don't believe because that might take a little away from it, but let them, maybe let them say the stuff you don't believe in Hebrew, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of uh, secular congregations do that. They switch over to more Hebrew than, and and mm-hmm. there are Christians who prefer the Latin um, because they want to say in English what they really believe, which is that that they're hoping the community will support mm-hmm. them in this new child, or that the community will. In any case, that that book got me in a place where I was thinking very deeply about, uh, you know, how I can respond to these kinds of questions, and what all that history taught me about how I can start to think about it. So all that came at the same time. But I'll tell you, I started out as a poet, and and (laughs) someone recently said, she wears many hats, but her head is poetry, and I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell me, um, let's talk for a couple more minutes, and then I want you to read some poems. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me how, having um, walked through these experiences and this research and writing the book, and also all the conversations you have in the wake of the book, how does this... Um, infuse your life now as a, you know, friend, colleague, uh, and a parent? You know, what, what do you think you do differently, maybe, that you didn't do before? Uh, well, uh, one little thing is I do impress upon my children that children don't have to be able to see their way out of a difficulty. They just have to report it because grown-ups are are, they have almost different brains. You know, I try to backpedal that. I don't want to sound insulting, but I do want to say it's not you, – if you can't think of a way out of it, that doesn't mean there's not a way out of it. Yeah. Um, that That's something that studying the brains of younger people definitely made me think I need to pass on. I see my kid in despair, and mm-hmm. it's something that I can help fix, but they, they don't see it at all. Right, um, right. But, uh, uh, yeah – I was going to say a different thing in terms of how I feel about in the community or with friends. Um, yeah, uh, I'll I'll say in sort of parentheses, in the, by my you know, but in the cup of my hand that um, yeah, there are a couple of people in my life who I maybe wrote the book for a little bit as well as myself. Yeah. Um, and they take it very seriously. They tell me, well, you said we can't, so. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, what about, let's say, if um, your children are younger now, but let's say when they're a little older, if they had a friend who committed suicide, you know, mm-hmm. what have you learned even through all your research about what, how you would handle that? Well, look, it's terrifying. Um, it's it's a scary thing. Um, I think that the the conversation does have to be about how um, important people are to each other and how vivid that becomes after a suicide. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're 
we are all suddenly reaching out to each other to say, really, did this really happen? And mm. and I miss this person, and I didn't even know that I was so connected to them. And that's a, a good place to start a conversation. Um, not the negative side, you know, not to say, you know, don't kill yourself because it would kill other people, but right. to say, look how involved we all are just under the surface, um, and let's try to help each other. Mm. That's wonderful. There's... um. There's a line in your book that I, um, you know, it was very striking to me because I did interview you once before, a decade mm. ago, after the Doubt book came out. And and here's what you say. We are indebted to one another, and the debt is a kind of faith, a beautiful, mm-hmm. difficult, strange faith. We mm-hmm. believe each other into being. Yeah. We do believe each other into being. Imagine yourself alone on this planet. Would anything be the same? Would you wash a dish? Would you would you think about productivity? Would you think about when you slept? When you would you think about how would you think conceive of what your life means? Um, it's like a little kid left alone in a house, a sudden shock of existential distress. We are um, we are are uh, we make the meaning for each other and the culture makes the meaning and I will say I, I watch my kids love video games and I enjoy some you know odd video games myself <laughs> um, but but the, these practices they I'm glad we have them right you don't have to be as bored as you used to be between things especially <laughs> right. as a kid I think it's good but it doesn't it, if you had to look for entertainment in things that talked spoke deeply about meaning you you have those more at your fingertips and some people's profession like yours and like mine lead us into a lot of ways of thinking about stuff so when it all comes down we have these quotes in our head we have these friendships in our head of people who Mm. uh, thought life was really terrible and yet and yet decided that that there was you know this beauty in it and this communalism um so so yeah, uh, we I, I certainly believe we believe each other into being. We are not much when we're not in the eyes of someone else, at least some of the time. Mm. Okay, uh, this is so great. Uh, so would you would you read? You said you had a couple poems. I'd love for you to just sure. say a little bit the, and then read the poem if you want to sure. tell a little story about it. This is this is called the No Hemlock Rock. Um, Garrison Keillor recently read it on a Writer's Almanac, and he added, like, on a jukebox uh, in an old diner, in parentheses, the way people really remember it, which is, don't kill yourself. Um, I wrote this between the two poet friends passing. Um, this was when it had just happened once. I hadn't thought that there would be any book or any forthcoming article. It just came out of me um, from thinking about my own distress and thinking about this uh, experience. And I'll also say that I I got the line from a different poet, who uh, a Spanish poet named uh, uh, Drummond, Andre Drummond, uh, but he was talking about something totally different. He was telling himself after he had been kissed to not uh, not just explode with with anticipation and and saying to himself just just don't kill yourself just everything will be fine just don't you know he's talking about his way home from the experience and like the trees were on fire in his mind he was just Mm. so lit up he was scared Mm. Um, so it was a totally different theme but I loved that he said the words don't kill yourself don't kill yourself and this came out in this poem I actually have a poem about his poem in my new poetry Mm. book as well as this one so here goes 
the no hemlock rock. Don't kill yourself. Don't kill yourself. Don't. Eat a donut. Be a blown nut. That is, if you're going to kill yourself, stand on a street corner rhyming seizure with Indonesia and wreck it with racket. Allow medical terms. Rave and fail. Be an absurd living ghost if necessary, but don't kill yourself. Let your friends know that something has passed or be glad they've guessed, but don't kill yourself. If you stay but are bat crazy, you will batter their hearts in blooming scores of anguish, but kill yourself and hundreds of other people die. Poison yourself, it poisons the well. Shoot yourself, it cracks the biodome. I will give badges to everyone who's figured this out about suicide and hence refused it. I am grateful. Stay. Thank you for staying. Please stay. You are my hero for staying. I know about it, and I'm grateful you stay. Eat a donut. Rhyme opus with lotus. Rope is bogus psychosis. Stay. Hocus pocus. Hocus pocus. Try not to kill yourself. I won't either. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, the last line's supposed to be, dare not to kill yourself, I won't either, but you can swap in or not. <laughs> um, I, I just read it wrong. Um, but yeah, this came before any research. Uh, it just, I don't, I don't exactly know all about how it came to me, but it was certainly from the experiences we've talked about uh, today. And, and then afterwards, when I had really started to uh, have a real sense of what I was doing, um, I wrote this. It's called Men Wept. Socrates sent the women away so he could die without the sound of weeping. The men wept. In the painting by Jacques-Louis David, Socrates sits up, points a finger skyward, and reaches for the hemlock cup. His wife, Xanthippe, I think of them as Zan and Sock, is in the David picture too, doing her thing for the scene, being sent away. She's far down the hallway and last. The rest have turned left, headed up the steps and out. She looks back, like a lot of wives. She'd been a pillar and also a salt tart. She holds up a hand goodbye. He's preparing to assault himself. She's younger than him. They have little children. They are likely still... Can I curse? Yeah, sure. <laughs> they are likely still fucking, if we allow the phrase to undergo a deep devaluation while still meaning something. That's philosophy. Recall Sock's parable of us all four-legged, two-headed, and self-in-love. Such tenderness. Then think of Zan, once enwrapped in great-robed arms, now divested. Sock told Xenophon, if he didn't fight, that he didn't, Sock told Xenophon he didn't fight at his trial to avoid getting old. From the vantage of love, it seems wrong to be so full of exit wisdom. Down the hall, her palm is a twin of his hand, his a tweaked fist, one finger up, posed like a habit, but hard like a rock. He points to indicate a rise up to the good. Her hand is a presentation, like a message. Stop. Don't drink the hemlock. What if, instead, after his leg braces are off and he has rubbed his leg and observed the congruence of pain and pleasure, but before he is offered the cup, what if the prison is invested with a hundred bees? 
The guard darts for the door. The menaced guests, the menaced guests gasp, yelp, and flee the scene. Socrates is stung on the leg, and when he bends to see it, a buzz invades his ear. He swats, runs out the door, and home. Quiet now. He minds the orchids and is soon locally known for his figs. Back from the trees every night, he finds her filling their glasses, squinting into the setting sun at the door. She raises a hand to greet him. Hmm. <laughs> Say, would you read the last couple of lines of the first one again with the dare in it? Just because sure. I think we're going to put this on the air and it's just sure for the thing. last couple of lines. I'll do the last four, the yeah. four lines of okay. the last stanza. Yeah. Eat a donut. Rhyme opus with lotus. Rope is bogus psychosis. Stay. Hocus pocus. Hocus pocus. Dare not to kill yourself. I won't either. Oh, Jennifer, this was so wonderful. I'm really going to be thank happy to put this on the air. I think it will thank help. Thank you so it will much. Help people, yeah. I'm just, what a delight. <laughs> yeah, it was a delight for me, too. Um, it, and I, you know, that early conversation I had with you was really so important, and um, it's just great to come back to you. So thank you. I'm really delighted. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I heard when you changed the name, yeah. there, you used a, a snippet of our talk. And oh, I was yes, that's very right. proud. Yeah. Oh, good. I was very proud. I did. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you're, and this, you know, when you replay it, I get new, I get new emails from people on yeah. doubt, and, and, and great conversations have come out of it. Yeah, and we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll point people to your poetry and your books, and we'll also point people back to that show when we put this one on the air. And Lily will let you know what's happening and when, when we're going to produce this. I, I don't know exactly when it's on the schedule. It'll be in the next month or two. Okay. Okay. Terrific. Take care. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Krista. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, boy. <laughs>